0: Hey everybody, what is going on? Welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for June 7th, 2018. I'm Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I'm going to be your host and I'm joined as always in studio by my fellow 538 sports writer, Kyle Wagner. Hey
1: Kyle. Hey Neil.
0: And on the line from his hotel room in Cleveland, a very sleep deprived fellow 538 sports writer, Chris Herring back in the show. Hey Chris. What's going on, man? Good to have you back, man. Uh, I know you've been traveling uh, and, and uh actually covering these games from uh in the arena. Uh but uh yeah, it's it's good to to have someone who is there actually on the pod uh these days. You know what I'll say really quick about that? I and I was having this conversation with a couple of people. It's it's
2: bizarre to me how um the reputation that Oracle has for how loud it is compared to Cleveland, because I've always felt like Cleveland is louder in person than oracle is um so just talking about the in person versus tv stuff uh, and last night that was true as well I, I get a little bit annoyed with the underdog mentality although i guess it's m- appropriate this year but uh that arena is so loud and i kind of feel like obviously we've seen the warrior struggle there um but it was just a really fun atmosphere there and obviously just not enough to pull it out
0: yeah chris well, you should have oh go ahead kyle
1: I was just like, a lot of that I feel like comes from like, at a city level, where like in the past, like there's been some talk, you know, turnover and fan base, whatever, where, you know, the old Oracle arena was like really loud and I wonder how much of that, like just because everything's leveled off on TV, where the levels are always about the same for the yeah. crowd, it just, it, that's just like kind of, uh, legacy kind of reputation at this point.
2: I mean, maybe, I mean, if we're just talking about, you know, reason to cheer, obviously the Warriors for sure, but, there's always been like this hope and this expectancy with Cleveland's crowd, uh, and obviously they've won a title now, so it's not quite the same. But um, I don't know. That, there's just something about it, and I, I tweeted this yesterday before the game. Uh, something that I'll miss if he does leave. Hearing that crowd cheer for LeBron James when he's announced in the starting lineup is like something totally different that you just don't hear. I was here for the the game where he was, you know, reintroduced his first game back in Cleveland. Uh, because they they happen to be playing the Knicks that night, and it, it's just it's it's just so cool to see that. I mean, you don't have m- very many things like that in sports. Uh, I mean, I guess we had Derrick Rose with the Bulls, but you know, obviously, it's on a completely different level, especially when you've, you take into account that this is a guy that left the team and then came back and won them a title or helped them win a title. So anyway, neither here nor there, but uh, but that's one of the things I, I really take from being here in person is just how. Great this crowd is uh, in, in terms of encouraging this team and I'm, I would assume even for game 4 You know they needed game 3 but I assume that even For game 4 they'll be really loud
0: well, Chris, yeah, on the off chance that uh, they do actually win and and at least extend it so it goes back to Golden State, you should get one of those um, iPhone apps that measures the decibel levels and kind of do a, <laughs> a little comparison test between the two. But maybe that won't, maybe you won't get the chance. Uh, if it, certainly if the Warriors sweep, and that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode. We're going to break down the Warriors' game three win, ask whether they can pull off. One of the rarer things in the NBA, which is a sweep in the NBA Finals, and plus we're going to talk a little bit about who should win Finals MVP uh, because it's less clear now than it has been uh, at any point in the series so far. So let's just jump right in on Game 3. Uh, the Cavs, they came out strong in the first half. It looked like we might have some kind of slim hope for a competitive series, but then Kevin Durant and the Warriors put an end to that. They won 110 to 102 in Cleveland behind Katie's 43 points and 13 boards. And now the Cavs are in a 3-0 hole, which is a deficit from which no NBA team has ever recovered. Guys, how did the Warriors win in this situation where we've seen so many opponents, uh, not be able to beat the Cavs, you know, even if they were to take a lead on them or look like they can beat them when they're at their own home court. When it flips around and plays in Cleveland, it seems like the Cavs are able to summon a new energy level and they did that a little bit, but it ultimately wasn't enough. What was the, what was the secret for the Warriors to resist
1: that I mean we just went over it right the Kevin Durant the went. Kevin Durant factor that's that's all it kind of was what was it seven for ten for 24 points in the first half I think and he didn't really slow down and those, that first half, the close to the first half was, was important because the Cavs had run out to that early lead. The, the Warriors had, you know, come back into it, tied the game. Then the, the Cavs opened it back up and around halftime it looked, okay, so they might go in up 12, up 13, up 15, something like that. And then Kevin Durant just started hitting shots down the stretch and all of a sudden, um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think they went in up six and that's just a much, uh, that's, Sure. Yeah, he had that buzzer beater going into the, into the half, which uh, sort of took the wind out of the sails for Cleveland just right away. Yeah, kind of like Steph Curry at them gave at the end of game one. So Kevin Durant just keeping them uh kind of within arm's distance, where this Cavs team, like especially at in Cleveland, can can get out to those leads and just run away from you. To where even if they do fade down the stretch, even if they do, you know, have weaker lineups that they have to play when LeBron, you know, is resting either on the court or off. Uh, it's it's hard to just climb all the way back in. Oh, Kevin Durant kept them within you know hailing distance.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's this is the difference, and I mean it's it's funny because as, as sports writers and as analysts, we're gonna look at you know what provides the difference and what makes the difference here. But I mean it's pretty cut and dry in a game like this. And obviously, I just wrote a story about it that, uh, and we saw it last year as well. Obviously, he was the MVP of the series, um, Durant is more than enough to kind of explain the gap here between these teams. Um, you know, in and, and our Slack channel last night, one of our editors, Chad, obviously was asking, like, you know, the Cavs aren't that bad, clearly, right, if they can hang this close with Golden State. And I don't know that that's quite a fair measuring stick. I mean, on the one hand, it seems like it should be. On the other hand, we know that Golden State kind of doesn't play their hardest until they absolutely have to. You know, the fact that Golden State was playing without Iguodala and, and still looked rusty Uh, Yesterday, even though he played well in in spurts and in moments. Um, But when you can play as poorly as Steph does, and, you know, a day and a half ago, I mean, up until game time yesterday, we're talking about him being the MVP of the series, and he was having the worst game of his career. Uh, If he'd finished the game one of 14 the way he was, that would have been the worst shooting game of his career. He's never taken more than 10 shots and made fewer than two in his career, uh he missed ten shots in a row. The the longest drought he ever had in his career was eleven. Uh when you can do that and Clay can play, you know, as pedestrian as he was playing and Draymond isn't giving you anything offensively either from a scoring standpoint. Uh I mean the fact that you can just kind of throw in a guy and, and get forty three, like Kyle said, wasn't missing shots. Just was not missing shots yesterday. Um and that they were just brutally attacking Cleveland um uh, as Cleveland was kind of trying to come up and trap jr smith looked so bad on defense last night and they this is just a team that is going to take advantage of mistakes like that when you don't know what you're doing on defense um and and so this is a team that is smarter than cleveland um at least their top line guys are smarter than cleveland's are uh for the most part and you know they have a just a literal assassin it it is such a shame that kevin durant won't accept the name slim reaper as a nickname because this guy (laughs) i mean this guy just killed them last night and these were some difficult shots he was getting some that were easy where he gets mismatched onto george hill and stuff like that but i mean the one that he shot to really ice the game yesterday are you kidding me 33 feet out um on a switch and i want to say that jr was the guy guarding him there too jr just had a rough night last night but
1: um, yeah, i mean that was the baffling thing with the with the george hill matchup especially where the the commentary was calling for oh just keep kevin durant off him, like keep george hill on him, and it seemed to me like Kevin, or Kevin Love was doing kind of a better job on a lot of those shots than, than even Hill was, uh, the, the one where he's fading away into, into the left, uh, to the left wing. It was just, he was draped all over Durant, but like Durant just was making all these shots. And the thing with Smith is, uh, JR, like last season we were talking about, JR was serving as their defensive stopper, where he was drawing the assignment against the best defensive wing. They weren't switching on all these, um, on all these off-ball screens, on-ball screens and Jar was just like sticking guys through most of the playoffs and you know it that you know fell away in the Golden State series but JR was, you know, a good kind of engaged defender last year in a way that he just isn't at all in this series.
0: Yeah, he only contested five shots last night, and that's kind of been par for the course. You know, big minutes from him and not a whole lot of activity on the defensive end. I want to unpack, though, the, the, what you guys were talking about with the juxtaposition between Curry and KD. Uh, earlier in the series, the narrative was sort of that, well, this is finally Curry's turn to to maybe make uh, a bid at finals MVP. Uh, and and we had spent all of or most of the Houston series and some of the first couple games of this series talking about how KD was sort of this this anchor in some ways that was sort of weighing down the 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 Warriors as weird as that is to say from playing this kind of free-flowing uh style that they seem to blossom uh fully when they play uh and last night we had a case of Curry playing like you said Chris one of his worst games three for 16 from the floor one of ten from three. And KD uh, scored 30 of his 43 points on contested shots on Wednesday, uh, and he scored on eight different Cavalier defenders, too, according to our friends at ESPN Stats and Info. So that seems to sort of turn that narrative that, you know, the narrative earlier about KD doing too much one-on-one, too much ISO, and that bogs down the worries, And what they really need is for Curry to play, you know, to have the opportunity to play like the Curry of old. And then, you know, this sort of showed that, hey, maybe KD going, uh, you know,
1: ISO ball, hero ball so much isn't always such a bad thing see i don't think that's exactly um okay countered that narrative because as we were talking about we're talking about plan a and plan b where plan a should be and usually is we play through curry we play through our system we uh we move the ball we have a lot of passes it's it's kind of uh you know the positionless basketball that you know we we know from golden state and when that's not working, we can throw the ball to KD. We can throw the ball to our ISO scorers and just run isolation and see what we can get out of there. Cause we have one of the best, you know, players in the world to do that. And so, like we've talked about, last night was bad for Steph. Last night was not especially great for Clay. And then, okay, so what does KD have? KD can go get us. It's, and it's not necessarily that you don't want that out of kd but that you can get that at any time out of him and if you've gone a whole game without kind of engaging your other players then that's harder to just summon like on the drop of a hat whereas we've seen as in game two where they're running the golden state offense they're running like the the offense you know moving you know sprinting that we know and kd can just fit right into that he he can have an efficient like quiet game for whatever almost 30 points yeah and uh and just be a really functional player so it it does it flows one way not quite the same the other
2: no he's he's totally right i mean basically the idea that this is an offense that um is always best when you can get the ball moving you know if that puts kd in a role where he's not isoing and you know kd is a lethal catch and shoot player and we saw that a couple times yesterday as well um as is steph i mean steph basically i had a stat in my last story before the one today that steph um When he's shooting off these, he's had so many of these give and go catch and shoot plays where the crazy thing, you actually break it down. He's, um, hockey assisting himself, which is such a cool concept (laughs) to me, but that basically that he's shooting better than 50% on those, but shooting like less than 20 or 30% on everything else. Um, they're so much better when the ball's moving. And, and obviously Clay is just a, a devastating, um, catch and shoot player as well. So that's always the best way to, you know, kinda of have their offense rolling, uh, especially when it involves JaVale and these other guys that, you know, can get rolling on the move. Um so that's always plan A, because this is a team that basically leads the league in passing or, you know, passes per game or right at the top of the league in that. Uh, and it, it we've seen Durant, you know, nights where he's not playing, you know, and shooting like a supernova that it throws other guys out of rhythm. And particularly Curry, uh, you know, when he's not handling the ball, and he's not able to make use of his off-ball movement, and neither is Clay. This is definitely not plan A, but on a night where nobody's hitting shots um, and no one's really getting into a rhythm but Durant, then obviously that's a pretty good plan B, and we know Kevin Durant can do that. Sometimes he does it when he really doesn't have to, and we've seen that be a problem before for this team. Um, but, you know, and they, they resort too much to that style of play when Curry isn't there, uh, where they just kind of rely solely on Durant. But, um, last night was a pretty good time to have that, that plan B and, you know, and this is exactly what fans refer to when they talk about. Um, the Warriors, you know, the, the fairness of it and kind of the fun of, of the league right now in, in terms of, you know, should you have that to turn to as a plan B? I don't think the Warriors did anything wrong because they drafted these guys um, and Durant was a, a free agent and there were all sorts of weird things that happened. You know, the cap increase, you know, Steph's injuries to make it so that he wasn't a max player the first time around obviously but uh but yeah it you know i understand where people come from where they say this this makes it less fun that you know that they have this much talent on this team that they have this to fall back on when
0: their offense fails yeah and one of the really absurd stats is like you had said kyle they trailed by 13 and they won anyway uh, and according to Stats & Info, that made them the first team in at least the last 20 years to win four straight postseason games when they trailed by double digits in those games, and that sort of also speaks to what you wrote last year, Chris, about the story about the Warriors not starting to try until they're down 15. I mean, th- this team, one of their hallmarks is that they're just impossible to really keep down for 48 consecutive minutes. They're always going to go on one of those runs, and you just have to weather it, and nobody really has been able to do that for the most part. Okay, so on the other side, we gotta talk about LeBron James. He had 33 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, but lost another game. Uh, I was curious about this. I looked up in basketball reference, uh, they have 15, uh, triple-doubles in their database in the finals for a player whose team ended up losing the game. LeBron by himself has a third of those. He has five of the 15, uh, and, and he has the last five that have happened in the NBA. You'd have to go back to Jason Kidd in 2002 to find the last case that wasn't a LeBron game. Also of note from basketball reference, uh, if you look at John Hollinger's game score, which we've talked about before, it's sort of just this all-in-one accounting of basically rough measure of how how well someone has played or how much they produced. Uh, in terms of average game score per game in an NBA Finals, LeBron is currently having the best NBA Finals of any player, period, full stop, since at least 1984. So, guys what 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 do you think of when you when you saw lebron sort of walking off the court after another loss going down 3-0 despite another fantastic game uh is this sort of the microcosm of his career you know the the number of times that he's gone in as an underdog and ended up losing and it just seems like he no matter what he does it's never enough to really get over the hump in the finals
1: what stood out to me was exactly kind of what we just came off of from the Plan B thing on Kevin Durant, where that was maybe one of his three worst games of the playoffs. His his game one against the Pacers, his game one against the Raptors, and this game three against the Warriors were all like just a a little bit worse than than what he's been doing, and still exceptional. They were
0: regular superhuman games.
1: Yes, it's it's still a triple double. It's still. A, <laughs> it's still absurdly good and it's still like not, not even that inefficient 13 for 28 for 53 54 uh true shooting percentage is not a bad game it's not what Steph Curry did out there and just there was nothing else happening for the entire rest of the team they had to and we'll get to this in a minute they had to dust off Rodney Hood to even keep that keep them in that game who actually played pretty well yeah he played very well uh which you know raises the obvious question of what Jordan Clarkson was doing in there for so long but Yes, this was a thing where there just isn't a plan B for Cleveland. If the LeBron offense isn't working previous years, you could just kind of turn it over to Kyrie and say, OK, does Kyrie have 40, 43 in him? Uh Not really the case now.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge here. And it's, it's such a glaring absence with, with Kyrie in a way that. Um, you know, at, at times during the season, I don't necessarily know that you saw that because LeBron wasn't having to play 48 minutes. Um, you know, that obviously there wasn't as much on the line. I think there was a point where we reached, you know, the conclusion that man, they really miss him more than we realized they would. Um, but I mean, it just wears on him. And when you're playing against a team with this many guys that can score and can score so effortlessly, um, you know, we saw this last year. I can't remember what the number was. Was it 113? Um, that the Cavs had in four out of the five games in last year's series. So scoring was never their problem, um, but you needed to be able to do it in order to hold court with this team and to be able to compete with a team like Golden State because their defense isn't good enough to really hold Golden State down the way that Houston did in the last series. And so without a second guy like that, LeBron is having to do everything. And I think more this season you've seen LeBron just kind of stand in the corner at times because he can't, he literally cannot do it every play. Um, and it's either going to result in him taking off plays on defense, which he's done that sometimes, or it's going to result in him just not being involved at all at times on offense. And so Kyrie is really meaningful and, and LeBron, and I wrote this in my story. That was a pretty quiet triple double, a 30 point triple double. Um and, and I mean no disrespect by that But I mean it, it was a fundamentally different game Than you know just the otherworldly 51-8-8 eight eight that we saw in game one And I think that was part of the reason They really needed to get game one Is just that he put so much out there um And it exerted so much energy Even with these days off He also sprained an ankle last night Or at least tweaked an ankle That uh, looked incredibly painful That he just kind of tightened up his shoe And said okay I'm going to play anyway um, you can only do so much stuff like that over the course of a series where a team's got a guy that is, I won't say quite your equal, but I mean, you know, if you couldn't have LeBron, the next guy you would want in the series is probably Durant. Um, and you know, beyond Durant, you have a two-time MVP. You've got, um, you know, however many times Clay has been an all-star, however many times Draymond's been an all-star. Um, and then, you know, a compliment of all these guys off the bench with Iguadala and uh mcgee has been tough for lebron to kind of get around in the series they've got plenty of good players on this team and so um you know it takes a, a superhuman effort and and lebron has done that but it hasn't been you know i think shay serrano has basically had a tweet going around saying like a flow chart basically saying did lebron play a totally like you know game from another planet yes then cleveland has a chance no then cleveland has no chance and that's kind of what this was last night is that he didn't have that sort of game it was a triple double that's part and due to the fact that just he commands so much of that offense that he's in position to make so many plays for them but um you know he wasn't getting to the line he wasn't knocking down threes last night and so it just wasn't the efficiency that we're used to seeing or that we saw in game one just wasn't quite there
1: and it wasn't even the usage that we've been uh used to seeing, and Not this quite. was true in game two as well, where his usage was down to thirty two in this game. It was under thirty in game two, where it had been floating through the Boston series, uh through most of the Boston series, um, at forty, sometimes approaching fifty, which is, you know, uh LeBron James in twenty fifteen finals uh range or Russell Westbrook in twenty sixteen uh kind of range, uh and and he just like wasn't as as involved. And also, I'm just going to uh, you know make the note that, you know, McGee has actually stuck LeBron on uh, when he's been switched off with the, the one has. very notable exception.
2: <laughs> he's been good. I mean, like, the thing is, he, he he's the kind of player that, like, you need JR to have games like that if you're Cleveland. Uh, guys that, um, you know, you feel like these are your wild cards. And JR obviously, you know, kind of cost them earlier in the series. And I would argue cost him last night, even though he played better offensively. Um, you need these guys that are kind of, you know, that you don't know what you're going to get from them. Um, and Doris Burke said something really smart on Zach Lowe's podcast um, two days ago where she basically said, you have a guy like JaVale where you can tell very quickly whether or not you're going to get a good performance from him or a bad performance. And you can act accordingly. Uh, they have that luxury on their team of like, if you don't play him, you play somebody else. Cleveland doesn't have that. I mean, that's why we saw Rodney Hood not playing, is that he was so hurtful to their offense for a while that you would r- rather not have him out there at all, and so you end up playing Jordan Clarkson because you don't really have any other good options. Um, Golden State has more options. And, you know, with Cleveland, if JR's not playing well, who do you really turn to? I mean, Corver would be the obvious answer, but he's not really great defensively in this series either. Uh So you just don't have you run out of you can't answers. Get any
1: separation either.
2: Right. Oh, and this series. I mean, that's the thing. This is such an ISO heavy offense. You're relying so much on LeBron. And this is a team that doesn't have to leave LeBron, uh, you know, as far as a double team is concerned. Now, they did a little bit more of it in game two, just because of how he dominated game one. But Corver can't really get open if, you know, everybody is staying home and LeBron is trying to find guys with little windows to throw into um, so it's it, this is just a team where you don't have enough options here if one guy is hurting you uh, and we've seen this in the past too where they've had to play Schumpert and people like that. There just aren't enough options to go around um so, so this I, is
1: a question that's been raised uh, kind of recently by the ringer where like James has had a preference for you know certain kinds of players to surround him, you know. Rightly so, where he, he understands that, like, his teams are at his, are at their best when, you know, he's driving, he's kicking, it's, you know, you get the Corver type players, the Kevin Love type players, the Chris Bosch type players, you know, uh, uh, the player that Bosch eventually turned into, and that does leave you with kind of without a plan B when, that's not really working anymore and so just how much of this blame falls onto lebron for being able to or not being able for not being able to you know have rosters that you know are more robust with you know playmakers and uh other guys that can you know kind of create things when it's not all lebron
0: yeah i mean that's a great point and and we've seen that like a very particular construction of team tends to be the one that that lebron ends up with whether it's because he has you know, there's always the talk about him pulling the strings behind the scenes and trying to orchestrate things and, and get players to come play with him. Or if it's just the the way in which, you know, when you have a guy like that, uh, the vision seems clear, but like you said, it's, it's uh, difficult to... Maybe find high level players to play next to him that are content to let LeBron use that like 40% of the possessions or whatever,
1: but then also step in. And we even saw that with Kyrie kind of chafed under that role. So for me, the thing is like the LeBron teams all tend so old. Right. Where like every, every time LeBron's in play, so the heat teams, even though they had the, the young core of stars, if you did like the, the weighted average for, uh, for their ages based on playing time or production or whatever, They were one of the oldest teams in the league, like just as old as the Celtics, who were decrepit by the time they were, you know... Um, you know, kind of rivals with the with the Cavs. Yeah, you had
0: like your Mike Millers and you know all of these kind like of veterans. Anderson. And I guess these veterans, you sort of have to grab these ring chasers uh, that that will sign for the minimum or near the minimum to fill out the rest of the roster because you've devoted so much of the salary cap to the big three model or or what kind of you know whatever kind of top heavy model you want to call it. I guess right now they're just not getting as much. They don't have a big three anymore. They have kind of a big two and Kevin Love is sort of up and down,
1: and where does that leave you? You know, it's sort of a a failed version of that big three model. So so where I was going with that, though, is that they also haven't, like, come in the other end, where... So a team that was built a lot like this team, or, you know, has a star a lot like LeBron, uh, is the Thunder, where... They have, you know, a lot of role players that fiddle around Russ. Russ, uh, just, it, everything kind of has to revolve around him, but they've built around defense and rebounding and not, not obviously, obviously not around shooting, uh, which is like the opposite decision. And, you know, they obviously don't have LeBron and they haven't had nearly as much success, but it seems like there are decisions to be made there where, yes, you have to, you have to find role players that can, you know, fit around your star. But the, the Cleveland decisions, the, the Miami decisions had, uh, not, not all the Miami decisions because, you know, Riley was, you know, involved in getting some, uh, some other pieces around there. But a lot of the decisions around LeBron have revolved explicitly, exclusively around shooting and the way, the places that you find shooting on the cheap tend to be older and, you know, not as useful in other areas of the game.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a slightly weird team that Braun's got now at this point. I mean, that was the great, great thing about Kyrie is that. Um, he, I mean, he's a great shooter in a way that most star level players that handle the ball that much just aren't. I mean, Kyle's written about, uh, guys that take a lot of pull up threes. I mean, Kyrie obviously could do that. Steph is rare in that sense too of guys that can, you know, are happy to take a shot off the dribble from that far away and that accurate where Kyrie, you know, I've written about the idea that he becomes more accurate the more dribbles he takes, which is, you know, totally backwards with the way you think about it. But, uh, George Hill, I've kind of described him the other day. He's almost like a three and deep point guard, which you normally don't see that. Um, today's league is kind of built around all these point guards that go to the basket. He's kind of more old school in the sense that kind of more of like a, a B.J. Armstrong. He'd probably be a great triangle point guard when you really think about these guys. You know, you know Phil Jackson wanting these point guards that could shoot and r- really aren't known for driving to the basket.
1: Yeah, good Spurs point guard.
2: I mean that you know the fact that he started there probably says a lot and I forgot about that uh, because it it was before I really started paying a close close attention to the league that hill was in San Antonio but um but yeah the, the fact that they don't have you know and the idea that when you kind of compare LeBron's guys versus the Warriors the Warriors and and like Kyle said I mean the closest thing you've really had to this group is the Thunder where you had and and you know obviously you could talk about Harden but even after that you know that you had Three guys in Westbrook, Durant, and you know, if you want to talk about Ibaka or other guys they had there, who could all really defend their position if, if and when they wanted to. Westbrook, obviously, kind of optional at times. But, uh, the Warriors, all their guys can defend, uh, when it really comes down to it. With, with Cleveland, I'm not really sure you can always say that. I mean, Love is not nearly as bad as he's made out to be on defense. Um, but you've got him, then he can be a liability depending on where you're playing him and with whom. Um, LeBron, as we were saying before, kind of takes some possessions off, but he can be a very good defender when he sinks his teeth into somebody. And then, you Cor- know, Corver, I don't know. Who who
1: who- semi not playing can get Kyle Corver out of a series apparently. <laughs> so, like, like, yes, yes, yes. I think, I think this is on track,
2: right? Exactly. We don't even know who that third guy is, but, you know, if you're relying on JR to sometimes be your third guy as a scorer, if he gets hot one night, I mean, I I went through to go look for a clip to include in my story this morning, and I wasn't even, like, hunting that hard, but found at least nine plays where JR, or at least the guy that JR was supposed to have had off of a switch, or, you know, after he got done trying to trap and failing to, uh, nine plays at least where he really, really killed them and was just out of position. And, you know, there were a handful of one-on-one plays where he kind of got beat as well, where, you know, someone just made a tough shot over him, but just plays where you know a pass where there's nobody in position to stop a play at the basket because jr doesn't drop and so um that's the challenge here is that there just aren't enough guys and this is the issue that i saw with jr several times in new york is just there are so many guys that are one-way players that you know what you're going to get out of them or what you should get out of them on one side but on the other side it's just a a total mystery box question mark sort of thing and it's hard to win championships like that and that's that's what you get when you have a 29th ranked defense
1: it's, it's not just one way. It's, it's one dimensional players where it's, it's not that you're getting offense out of a player or defense out of a player or rebounding out of a player. You're getting one specific element of that side of the ball out of those players, which again is another issue that, uh, has, had come up in gold, uh, not Golden State, obviously, in Oklahoma City and has come up in other places, um, uh, in parts in, in Houston, but, but really in places like Minnesota where there's a lot of guys who only do the one thing up there.
0: I I think all this kind of goes to show that team building is really hard and uh, that that's something that we'll also have to keep an eye on. Uh, about LeBron's next destination, whether it's still in Cleveland or Philly or LA or wherever, um, you know, thinking about can he break that mold that, that we've talked about him getting kind of stuck in, uh, and does he even want to, uh, are, are kind of questions to think about, uh, when we're talking about his free agency, but maybe that's putting the cart a little bit ahead of the, co- uh,
1: the horse. Oh no, yeah, we'll get into that because, you know, the finals are over now, so like.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, show. I don't want to, you know, bury the calves too prematurely, um, but I do want I want to talk about MVP because having said all of that about LeBron, you know it's uh, it's kind of funny that you guys are like, oh, you know LeBron, he wasn't as dominant, and, and you know he has a triple double in the finals uh, with with not a bad shooting percentage at all, uh, so. I think it's fair to say he's been the best individual player of these finals, right? I mean, if you had to pick a singular player and putting aside team records, putting aside, you know, how the rest of the team has done, LeBron's been the best player of the series, but obviously you Probably can't give him the MVP. Uh, especially if they get swept, that would be absurd. Jerry West is the only player from a losing team to win finals MVP ever. And that was a seven game series. Uh, this one is looking like it might be a sweep or if it goes like last year, it would be a five gamer. They gave Andre Iguodala the MVP in 2015 despite LeBron playing, you know, roughly as well, maybe not quite as well, uh, as he's done this year. And he was clearly the best individual player that series. So guys, who should win the MVP? Is there a case for LeBron as like a troll MVP, you know, argument or i don't know who would you give it to if you had to give it right now katie i guess
2: i mean of course you you could give it to lebron i don't i mean it'd be really hard to argue when you look at it statistically um to say he's not deserving of you know having been the best player or the mvp of the series but i think katie would probably get it because i mean katie hasn't had one game where his numbers were so bad i, I think curry had that sort of game last night so where you know, even in the law, the law of averages, when you just kind of average everything out, that you know it doesn't look like a great statistical performance, particularly compared to everybody else. LeBron's numbers would hold up fine. Uh, I just think it's more going to be the sweep aspect of it. I probably think that it would need to go six, honestly, for LeBron to win MVP. Otherwise, how is it really that different than last year? Durant is going to have pretty big numbers here, um, particularly if he has another big game in Game Four. Um I'm not quite sure how anybody else other than KD would get it unless it's LeBron, and I think that would require going another game or two.
1: Yeah, I mean, last night kind of made it really hard for Steph to win because uh that kind of shooting performance is going to just kind of be hung around his neck for the rest of the series. And it tanked his numbers for the series.
0: He's shooting below 40% for the series wow. now, which – You know, he wasn't going in, obviously, and so if you look at the full stat line, that one game is enough to sort of poison the whole series stats.
1: But, so Neil and I had actually talked about this last podcast, that kind of the dark horse, the stalking horse for this was Clay Thompson, where in the first two games, every time the, the Cavs were kind of pulling away and kind of getting a little separation, uh, Thompson would just like punch them right back in. Even if his numbers weren't as good as the other Warriors, they were, they were high leverage moments in a way that you could make the same case, uh, as when Iguodala won for, for, you know, I'm doing air quotes, um, and rolling my eyes, guarding LeBron while LeBron averaged like 40 points or whatever. <laughs> he held um, LeBron
0: to, to 40 a game.
1: Uh, he, he actually did though, <laughs> LeBron, which, um, it was, was frightening at the time and deserving, but Thompson had played such a high leverage role in those first two games that, it was, it's, was, it's conceivable. You could make the case with 10 points in game three and he was four for, for, four for 11. It's, it's a little harder to see that. But if this does go for, you know, another two games, another three games even, uh, then it's a little easier to make the case, uh, if he has good games in, in those also and, you know, kind of plays the same kind of role. But in game three, like Durant just did everything that Thompson was doing in the first two and, you know, did everything else too. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like it's kind of a repeat of last year in a lot of different respects. The 30 lead, uh Durant sort of moving into the driver's seat for the MVP race. So guys, uh do the Cavs do what they did last year and have one more win in them and avoid the sweep in game four? Is this one of those, I think we talked about this earlier in the playoffs, one of those gentlemen sweeps where a team goes up 3-0 and then they let the underdog have one at home and then they go back and, and kind of close it out in five uh, and sort of complete the destiny of, of repeating last year almost beat for beat? God, I hope not, because I don't want to go back to California needlessly. Oh, yeah, um, Chris, that would be especially bad for you.
2: <laughs> um, I mean, one thing to remember about last year, too, um, that I, Kyrie Irving had a, I want to say a massive game four, as did LeBron. Um, he had I mean, points, I think. yeah, the team as a whole did, too. I mean, everybody caught fire, but, Um, it's a little bit harder to imagine them catching fire to that extent without that sort of performance. I don't really think anybody else on that roster is capable of having a game like that other than maybe Kevin Love. Um, and I, I mean, I'd have to look up the last time. Granted, the reason, one of the reasons he would never have 40 in this situation previously was because Kyrie was there and so was LeBron. But I, you know, he played a whole season with LeBron just now. I don't think Kevin Love had a 40 point game, did he? Maybe one? Um, if I'm just totally forgetting something, but it, it's pretty unusual and it's pretty unexp- it would be unexpected for someone to contribute to that extent on offense, even if they're getting a lot of shots. So I don't- I, I definitely don't see them running away with something to that extent. Maybe they do win. Uh, I mean, they got out to a good start here in this game, but I thought that the writing was kind of on the wall after run one quarter that they- dominated much of the first quarter but then only ended up winning the quarter by one point so um you'll probably know pretty early on if, if they're on track for that sort of performance uh, golden state really seems flustered whenever they first step into that building the turnovers uh you know obviously we saw that um draymond you know the, he, the refs are under his skin very early or vice versa who knows um but you know they they seem to kind of gain their composure pretty quickly after those first six or seven minutes of the game. But I think we'll know pretty early whether or not Cleveland can kind of pull one out, or if they're going to have a dominant performance that kind of spurs them on to a Game Five.
0: Yeah, Chris. Uh, to your point about Love, uh, he had 38 points was his high on the season, so he just missed a 40 point game, but that was easily the highest he had, and he only has
1: one 30 point game in the playoffs. To be fair though he was looking very good early in this game in playing the kind of He was the ball that like he re- he really couldn't play last year where for me the defining moment of of that series last season uh, was on the one end uh, love gets the ball in isolation and you know it's, it's time for, for the third star on the Cavs, to, you know, go get a bucket because, you know, Kyrie's exhausted, LeBron's exhausted, and he gets a switch, he gets, they try to get the switch onto Kevin Durant and Durant just swallows him, swats it and like comes down to the other end and takes a totally, you know, guarded, you know, leaning, uh, fade away shot and just sinks it and I think at that point it, it, whatever game that was, it just separated it like to the point where it's like, this probably isn't coming back. Uh, but last night, early on, uh, Love wasn't getting suffocated. He wasn't getting smothered. He was just like kind of banged into Durant. And he went into the
0: post at one point.
1: Uh, yeah. And he was, he was like muscling around bullying everyone. And you forget just how good of a rebounder he is and how good of a, like how good positionally he is. And like, again, a lot of those like really good positional rebounds were against, uh, McGee, who's, uh, notoriously bad on positioning for, for rebounds and stuff like that. But, uh, but he looked really good and he looked really strong. So, so I can see it. I can see Love. You know, putting up a 30 point game and LeBron, you know, getting 30, 40 and, you know, going and getting it. But, uh, it's tough to see how they do that for, for a few games in a row. And, and that's what they would have to do to, to really, you know, pull this thing back into anything we're going to talk about as something other than a series that's already finished.
0: Yeah. And, and maybe some of it also would help at the other end of the floor if they didn't, Keep allowing those uh, Golden State bigs to just go to the basket and be completely unguarded underneath the hoop like JaVale and uh, Jordan Bell had a few times.
2: I mean, can Uh, we uh, can we talk about that? Because I mean, so I think that was something that a lot of us saw coming. And, um, you know, basically last game, the Warriors took full advantage of that instead of having guys come up and set Full screens. They they obviously were slipping the screens, and they were sending Javale and guys like that to the basket before they'd come up and make contact with the guy like Kevin Love, because basically the the Cavs were cheating. They were coming all the way up, and they they were making it known that they were going to switch no matter what, really whether they needed to or not, and so. Steph, being the smart player he is, um, you know, they basically started the game. That's kind of how JaVale gotten out to these good starts is that they've said, okay, if you're going to switch preemptively without reason, we're just going to throw these passes before you get to us. And so that's kind of what they were doing yesterday, and uh, that's kind of what they were doing in, in game two. And then yesterday in game three, what it seemed like they were doing is they were letting guys come all the way up. Uh, basically, the Cavs said, okay, we got to change the strategy. We have to trap a little bit. And Steph was basically almost letting them get there. And it was almost like the Charlie Brown thing where you pull the football back at the last second and you, you basically throw a pass right as the guys are getting there. And then you've got two guys that are out of position. And, you know, the way that we watch these guys have these constant downhill four on threes, three on twos, that's kind of what we were watching yesterday too is that. You know, we had several plays where JaVale dunked but could have easily thrown the ball to Durant or another teammate down in the post. So, I mean, this is kind of just an issue where Golden State is always going to be one step ahead of Cleveland's defense, particularly when Cleveland doesn't really have good defenders to make these plays. Um, But also, it seems like they went in with a very specific game plan. We're going to trap, and Golden State kind of knew that something along those lines was probably going to happen, and we're just ready for it.
1: Yeah, we talked about that a lot on the last episode where we were just like, they're just doing things that they haven't done all season and trying to to install them right now where like the slip coverage just hasn't been there because they weren't switching on this stuff the the switch coverage in general hasn't been there uh but the other thing with that is it's not just that this is like a cohesive defensive unit that hasn't been playing defense like this uh the Cavs have had a preposterous amount of roster turnover preposterous uh, number of different lineups yes so they 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 played 130 uh lineups during the regular uh, during the playoffs alone uh which you know golden state's played more but you know golden state has a lot of garbage time to fill and so for a team that like started the year with jay crowder Dwayne wade and uh derrick rose as you know key parts of its its defensive lineups as has had jose calderon in there at times it, it just installed nance it just brought rodney hood back into the thing uh it's it's understandable how especially if the plan isn't just stick to your man and like we're just going to try to you know grit this thing out if it's oh no no we're going to we're going to switch we're going to you know follow the slips we're going to do everything that is it's not just that they're doing something new which they haven't done before this series at all during the season but it's that these lineups just aren't used to playing with each other the way that a lot of teams lineups at especially at this point in the year would be
0: yeah, Cavs have a lot of things to kind of work out if they're going to extend the series further. For what it's worth, our Carmelo model gives the Warriors a 99% chance of winning the championship now. So, uh, we're, we're, I have to say this, we're saying there's a chance, Cleveland. Okay, that'll do it for this week's show. We'll talk to you on Monday, uh, perhaps for the final time this season if the Warriors sweep on Friday. If not, we'll have a game five to look forward to. Either way, our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Send so us your questions and comments at dot at 538com Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are also there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Wherever you find the program, be sure to leave a review and a rating. It helps others discover the program. For Chris and Kyle, and Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.